Amen. Thank you, Mike, for that. If we have not done so already, send the kids out, which I'm looking at a bunch of older people, so I'm guessing they've already done that. Notice I said old, not older. So I know some of you are a little touchy with that word. And judging by my Sunday school class and this, this church, old is just an idea because all of you are very, very young when we get to talking. If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to the 118th Psalm. If you open up your Bible almost dead center, you'll probably be in the book of Psalms. And if you end up in the 119th Psalm, which is by far and away the largest, then you've just got a few pages to turn to get to Psalm 118. And as we look at the 118th Psalm, we are going to be reading the last portion of this Psalm, which is going to begin in verse 22. And we are going to read through to verse 29. So if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 118, starting in verse 22, we read these words. The stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festive sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his loving kindness is everlasting. Please be seated. As Jesus began to enter Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, we hear how the disciples and the crowds that were around him began to shout and to cheer upon his arrival. Matthew, which we just read, says this, the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Mark tells us that these words were spoken, that those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Still going, Luke says this, that the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God prayerful, joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God on earth. Even John says that when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Notice how all four gospel accounts tell us that the crowds were saying the same phrase over and over again. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If we think about it, which we're going to reflect quite a bit today, amidst all the noise, all the cheers, all the commotion, there is one phrase that stuck out in the mind of those who wrote the gospel accounts. Matthew and, and John were actually present at the time. They were part of the throng. That was so, part of something that they were likely shouting themselves. And, and they remembered that, that again and again they heard, Hosanna, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even Luke and Mark, who were getting this story from someone like Peter or one of the other disciples or, or maybe even one of the women as they were writing things down, the word that, and the phrase that continued to come to mind is this is what the people shouted when Jesus came to Jerusalem is these very words. Well, these words did not come from nowhere. But indeed, they came from somewhere. And that somewhere is the psalm that we have just read. As we begin to think about what they were saying and why they were saying it, we begin to realize how fitting these chants and these cheers were. And even though they may not have fully understood what they were saying, they give us insight as to what is happening in Scripture on this Palm Sunday. The 118th Psalm is considered a song of triumph and thanksgiving. While it is not attributed specifically to an author, many believe that this was a psalm of David, or at the very least a psalm about David, given the context of the whole song. The psalm follows David, or at least some ruler or king in Israel, who has returned to Jerusalem most likely from war. If you have your Bible out, you can go back just a little bit to verse 20. Or, uh, yeah, to verse 20. And it says, as he opens the gates, the gate of the Lord, the righteous, he will give thanks. It, actually, that's not right. What did I put? Oh, 10. There you go. It says, all nations surround me. In the midst of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. We get the notion that we have a king, a ruler, a, a person of Israel who has gone out and has gone to war. And has been surrounded by foreign nations and has gone through many things. And yet now as we come to the end of the passage, they are entering into Jerusalem. And part of the celebration that the king was victorious. We recognize right off the bat that this is a psalm or a song of celebration. Even the initial statement in our own passage as we look at verse 22, when it says the stone which the builder rejected has become the chief and cornerstone would have been a, a statement at the time. This is interesting. At the time that it was written, they would have understood this to mean that either that was David, that he was the one that, that got left out in the field, that surely he wasn't going to be the next king of Israel. And yet that's exactly who ended up being the next king of Israel. Or it could have even been about Israel itself, that though it was a small nation and considered insignificant and weak, and yet it had come back from battle victorious. They didn't know that this would be a verse that was used again and again and again to point out that it would be the Jewish people themselves that would reject Christ. And yet he would become the chief cornerstone of the church. Now the people, they knew what this song was about. They knew that this song was about a triumphant king returning to Jerusalem. In fact, we can even look at the text and we see both in John as well as in Luke that there is reference to not only that he who comes in the name of the Lord, but the king who comes in the name of the, of the Lord. Reading for you again, what they said in John was, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And this is what they were singing and this is what they were shouting as Jesus came in. 
as we think about this for just a moment, the people who are shouting these words is not just Jesus. It's not like Jesus said, hey, everybody, sing along with me, Psalm 118. In fact, as far as we can tell, Jesus didn't say anything. Nor can we even say that it was the disciples who got everybody to sing it. But rather it says that not only the disciples and the, the disciples and the followers of Jesus were singing this song, but also the crowds and those people that were just watching Jesus come in, that indeed the whole city had become stirred up as they sang and celebrated Jesus' arrival. I cannot imagine that this was something that happened on the regular. No one else got this kind of welcome. This was not a normal thing for everybody as they came into Jerusalem. In fact, if we look at the scriptures and begin to understand and piece things together, usually it was the opposite. Usually those who were pilgrims and those who were travelers that were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate one of the many feasts that they were supposed to celebrate, they would be the ones that came in singing. And they would be singing songs. And those who lived in Jerusalem would just watch them as they came in singing their songs and, and making their arrival into Jerusalem. And yet in this time today, we see as Jesus is coming in, it is actually Jerusalem. And it is actually the crowds who are singing and celebrating and overjoyed at what, it is, what is happening. The Pharisees didn't get this kind of welcome. Herod didn't get this kind of welcome. Pilate did not get this kind of welcome. Something different was happening. Something special. Something unlike anything that had ever happened in the city in a very long time. As we look at our text from Matthew, we can see that this led to confusion. That such a response was, was so unnerving and so out of the normal that in Matthew, in the verse 10 that we read earlier, it says that they said, Who is this? What on earth is happening here? Why is everybody losing their minds? What's going on? I'm not sure that they realized how right they were when they began to sing the song of the victorious king. For indeed, the king had arrived. But this was not only just because Jesus was of the line of David and had a rightful claim to the throne of his father, David. But in fact, God himself was entering Jerusalem. The true king of Israel was coming home that God the Son had put on flesh and was dwelling among them. Jeremiah 10.10 10 affirms these words when it says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure His indignation. It is amazing, and I love because as we can look at all of these passages, we can even see that there's a point where the Pharisees and the leaders began to go to Jesus and say, hey, you need to tell the people to quit singing this. You need to shh. They're going, shh, no, 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 no. And they knew why, because this, what they were singing had these messianic points to it. And they knew that singing that song was this implication that Jesus might be the Messiah, the Christ, the one that they've been waiting for. And so they were like, Jesus, you need to tell everybody to not sing this, that this, is, this has means something. And I'm not sure you know what it means. And Jesus turns to them and says, no. 
Because if these people were silent, then the rocks would cry out. See, the king had come. Indeed, the king had returned to Jerusalem, but it wasn't just that steward of the kingdom that David and Solomon and so forth was. But the true king of Israel, the true king of Jerusalem had arrived because God himself rode upon that donkey. Our passage goes on to explain why they were celebrating the return of their king. As we go back into the the psalm, in the the 118th psalm, we read these words. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, send prosperity. The king's return marked the end of, of a particular campaign, and it was a victorious one for Israel. We need to be aware that that there was far more in the balance when kings went off to war in the days of David. It's not like today where we have oceans separating us from most of our enemies. And and along with that, we have people like the the National Guard and, and and the Air Guard and all that stuff who are still here to protect us. When kings went away to war, there was no guarantee that the king and the army would return. And if the king and their army did not return, it could mean devastating consequences for the nation of Israel that had been left behind. If the king was victorious, then he will have defended his borders, expanded his kingdom, and gained spoils from a vanquished army. However, if he had failed, it could be inviting wicked people into the city and into all the land in order to devastate the land, take away the people into slavery, and at minimum tax tax them mercilessly. See, a king who loses leads to a country who is at best a vassal state of another country who taxes them and makes life miserable. At worst, they come in and utterly devastate and ravage a city and a nation until there is nothing left. The Psalms prayer for salvation and prosperity is an acknowledgement of what God has already done by allowing them to be victorious. Indeed, the king's triumphant return meant that the people had been saved from their enemies to live securely and to prosper in the land. In Jesus' time, they were not only shouting for their king who had returned, but for the king who brought salvation. Now again, I am not convinced that the people of, the, of Jesus' time had any clue the weight to which these words meant. They had thought that Jesus would save them from Rome or from Herod or from Pilate, but Jesus came to save them from something much better. As we go again into the scriptures, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, going all the way back to the birth announcement of Jesus, we hear these words. Speaking of Mary, it says that she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, Jesus came in victorious, but the salvation that the people experience, would experience was not a salvation from anything of this world. 
And the salvation that they would experience is not a salvation that sets kind of the Jewish faith back in order, but the salvation that they would experience would be salvation from their sins and from the wrath of God according to their sins. They were right to cheer. They were right to celebrate their victorious king. But I'm not sure they truly knew what was about to go down. So we have a king who has come. A king who has come to save his people. But what happens next? Well, the people didn't know it. But God knew it. And our passage reveals it. As we go on, it says, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festive sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. The victorious king comes into Jerusalem and it says that he goes straight to the temple. Verse 26 represents the people and possibly even the priests when they had come and that they were greeting the king on his return. Notice again verse 26 where it says, uh, it says, we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. This is why it was fitting that the people shouted to Jesus upon his arrival. I want you to picture in your mind just a moment what this conquering king would have looked like in the day that the psalm was written. King David, we're assuming, but some victorious king had gone off to battle. He'd been gone for who knows how long, and, and they had gotten probably word by someone who ran on ahead that, that the king was victorious and that he was finally coming home and that the armies were marching to Jerusalem to celebrate. And all the festivities had been prepared and all the feasting and all the things, and even the priests and the high priests were there and they were prepared for King David to enter into the city. And as King David would enter into the city, the people would shout and, and, and make, make much noise, much like they did for Jesus at Palm Sunday, saying, Praise be to God, Hosanna, Hosanna, our King has come, yay, yay, yay. And as he walked into town, as he marched in as a victorious and conquering king, believe it or not, he probably would go through the town, bypassing even his own palace, and go straight to the temple to be greeted by the high priest. And all the while, they would be shouting the very words that the people were shouting to Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The king would have been greeted by the high priest. And immediately following that, there would have been a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to God for all that they had done, as well as a sacrifice to purify those who had been out at war and had killed Verse 27 makes it clear that they came for a sacrifice to be made upon the altar. The people in Jesus' time may have made a connection here to the fact that Jesus was coming in for the Passover and that there would indeed be a sacrifice and there would be the celebration of the Passover, including the Passover lamb. However, Jesus had something very different in mind. As we look at the Gospel of Luke, we see what Jesus had planned for his entry into Jerusalem. In chapter 18, starting in verse 31, we read these words. Then he took the 12 aside and he said to them, Behold, 
we are going up to Jerusalem, and all the things which were written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon, and after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise again. The people knew that a sacrifice was coming. They even had a pretty good idea that it would be a sacrificial lamb. But it would not be the sacrifice that they had envisioned. For the, for the triumphant king of Psalm 118 would march into Jerusalem and he would not call for the sacrifice, but he would come to be the sacrifice so that the people would indeed be saved but not from a foreign nation, not the Philistines or Babylon, not the Greeks or the Romans. But he would become the sacrifice for sin that had already come and had already enslaved them. Our psalm ends with a song of thanksgiving. You are my God and I give thanks to you. You are my God and I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Now, this word loving kindness is a great word in the Old Testament. In fact, it is, it is my favorite word in the Old Testament. Because it has so much depth and so much meaning. It's one of those words that odds are your, your Bible translates it maybe a, a little bit differently because there's so much meaning to this one simple word. It is a steadfast, patient, gracious, even merciful love that God often communicates to, to man. It is a love that is unconditionally, unconditional. And it shows that it's love through all sorts of acts of mercy and kindness. It is the very love that as it gets translated over into the New Testament and into the Greek language that they had in the days of Jesus would have been this agape love that we talk about in church so often. It is a love that is self-sacrificing, wanting to see the betterment of someone else, wanting to see somebody set right. It is love that led Paul to pen these words. Found in Romans chapter 5, he says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ got, died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare to even die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more we have been reconciled, we should be saved by his life. The loving kindness that the author of this psalm communicated is the same loving kindness extended to us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That God has shown us mercy. And that God in his graciousness has made a way to save his people. It is so right and good that the people sang, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As they prepared for this kingly celebration, 
They did not realize that the man who stood before them was both king and sacrifice. The one who would save them from their sins so that they would never have to be afraid again. That message is still true for you today. As we gather today and as we have palm leaves on our, our uh, uh, pews and as we celebrate and sing songs that, that remind us of these things, even as our children are in the back and they're learning about Palm Sunday, remember that what they were saying and what they were singing was true. And it is true as true for them then as it is true for you today that Christ has come. That he has come to be your Savior and your King. And the Bible is very clear when it says that if you will surrender yourself to him, if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you too will be saved. But do not miss out on the message in the midst of all of the celebration. For Christ has come. And he deserves to be worshipped. For he is the one that will pay the price to save us from our sins. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, we come before you now, God, and we just stand in awe of your goodness and your grace. Lord, it would be such a thrill to have been in that group. To see and to experience the one time that Jesus was worshipped the way he truly deserved. And yet, God, even as we look at the text, we begin to recognize that they did not fully understand who Jesus was. For this Jesus of Nazareth in Galilee was not a prophet, at least not only a prophet. He was not only a king. He was not only a rabbi. But he was you. He was God the Son in the flesh. And that he entered Jerusalem that day with the knowledge and the plan that he would be the sacrifice for our sins. That he would die the death that we deserved so that our sins might be paid for. And that as he said himself, he will rise from the grave so that we never have to fear death again. Father God, it is my hope and prayer that if there's anyone here today that needs to have that kind of relationship with Jesus, that if they need to give their life to him, surrender themselves to him, and make him both Lord and Savior of their life, that God, today would be the day that they do so. And God, that they would come into this week and that they would come into Easter as one who has been born again, made alive in Christ, never to fear death or the grave again. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.